Hebrews. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, because I want you to read it. I want you to see it and be able to, to follow along with it. Uh, and, and we're going to, to take some time to, to delve into it. Um, the, the whole book of Hebrews is predicated on the fact that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. And the reason, if I could give you just a little bit of a, if I could give you a, a quick, quick background, this was written to, to uh, a church that was brand new. We're, we're not that far removed in the book of Hebrews from the book of Acts and, and, and the, the church that was birthed in Acts chapter 2, and it's a new covenant. No longer are you under the old covenant of the sacrificial system because Jesus has died on the cross and risen again. The blood that was shed is for you and I and all of that. And so uh, the, the writer of Hebrews, and, and you can decide who that is. A lot say it's Paul. Some say it's Timothy. Others say it's Apollos. Uh, you can kind of decide. The, the book doesn't give us insight there, and it really doesn't matter. But the writer of Hebrews... Um, was, was looking to a brand new church. This brand new church didn't have a lot of history of, of, of being an apostolic church. They're, they're just 30, 40, 50 years, maybe even less than that, removed from that Acts 2 experience. The majority of the believers in the church at that time were, were of Jewish belief and Jewish lineage. What they remembered mostly was synagogues and tavern or temples and and rabbis and priests and there was a little bit of a of a falling away of those in the church that when things got tough instead of pushing forward and and holding on to Jesus they began to go backwards into that Judaism and those belief systems and, and the writer of Hebrews wanted to tell them, it's no use going back. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. You can sacrifice all the cows on earth. You can sacrifice all the lambs on earth. And it won't do a thing for your sin anymore. But there is one lamb that died for you and I. And the writer of Hebrews was telling them, Jesus is all you need. If you've missed any of it, you can go to our website, you can go to our app, O'Fallon Lighthouse, you can get it at any app store, and you can go and see uh, the, the last three. We, we did the first uh, lesson, what, we didn't even hardly get into the book, I was just telling you why Hebrews is important, and then the, the next one, we, we tried, but we only got through I think five verses, and then last week we were able to get through uh, those first two chapters, but now I want you to turn to chapter 3. And we're going to uh, uh, delve right into it and, and get into uh, what the Word of God says. Let me turn there. I, I told you before, I'm using, uh, as part of my study, I'm using a, a, a commentary by uh, Dr. Dan Seagraves called Hebrews, Better Things. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And, and I'll pull from that, going to pull from just reading over and over. I've never read Hebrews as much as I've read over this last month or so. But we want to do it. Let's read the first six verses. And uh, you don't have to read them out loud, but I, I want you to see them as they, as they come together. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, 
who was faithful to him that appointed him, even as also Moses was faithful in all of his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who hath builded the house hath much more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as the son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. The writer of the Hebrews, now we, we get from Jesus is better than the angels. That's what we spent a lot of time last week uh, talking about. We get from Jesus is better than the angels to another theme. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than Moses. The point is simple. To understand that this new covenant that was introduced by the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is far superior than the old covenant given there on Mount Sinai. Notice I didn't say we throw that out. Notice I didn't say that we throw away the Old Testament. But that we understand there is a new covenant there. Uh, Number one, the angels delivered the old covenant. It was the angels on Mount Sinai that gathered around there. and, And they were there. But now we have the covenant coming straight from Jesus. Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. We have spent a lot of time over the last at least two Wednesdays and maybe three talking about the dual nature of Jesus Christ. That he was all God and he was all man. In the first part of Hebrews chapter 3, we see this and I'm going to tell you when I begin to understand it because I'm like you. I read the Bible and not every time does it jump out. I've got to study. That's why the Bible says study to show thyself approved. Another place it says that we should study to rightly divide the word of truth. The, the beautiful thing about the, the, the word of Jesus is that anybody can understand it. But it, it the more you get into it, the more open it becomes. Salvation is very simple to understand. You don't have to dig very far to understand what it takes to be saved. But then the beauty of the, of the scriptures is that the more you read, the more you study, you'll never learn it all. You'll never understand it all. There's more to see. But uh, look at these. It uses this, this, uh, this two Two phrases, and I, when I saw this, I kind of did a little jig around my desk. You ought to see me sometimes. You can ask Sister Sharon. Uh, I, I don't always act cultured as I appear. But uh, it uses two words. It says the apostle, you know, talking about Jesus, is the apostle and the high priest. Now watch this. What is an apostle? We talk about Paul, the apostle. We talk about Peter, the apostle. What is an apostle? It is a man sent from God to tell the gospel to to, to humanity, right? And so because of this, talking about Jesus, he is an apostle. And so Jesus is God represented to man. He's the apostle. The words he says leads us to Jehovah. The words he says leads us to the God of all creation. He was the apostle, but then it changes and and it doesn't stay there. It says he's also the high priest. The high priest is the one that brings man to God. In the temple 
uh, surroundings in the temple formula. It was you. You would come with your sin. You would come with your sacrifice. And you couldn't go to God. You would have to go to a high priest. The high priest would take that lamb. He would sacrifice that lamb. He would offer that lamb up. And thus he was connecting man to God. Jesus not only brings God to man, but at the same time through his humanity and through his death, he brings us to God. Do you understand? Can you see how, how each and every time you look at the word uh, the book of Hebrews, it just keeps, it keeps going over and over. He is God manifest in the flesh. As apostle, he represents God to humanity. As the high priest, he represents humanity to God. It's this new covenant that we see, and it's this covenant of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. This covenant is simple. Jesus took on him the form of man so that he could walk as we did the new Adam. He could walk with a, 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 a temptation of sin. He had to fight through all of that. devil accosted him constantly, but yet he did not sin. And because of that, he was able to die on a cross. And the Bible says he took your sin and my sin and he nailed them to the cross. And the understanding is the blood that was shed on Calvary becomes the spotless lamb for all of mankind. And that covenant says that death is required. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. There has to be a death to atone for sin. It goes all the way back to, to the Garden of Eden. When, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were naked and they were ashamed, what did the Bible say? They tried to cover themselves up with leaves and that didn't work. They wilted and they dried up and God gave them skins, animal skins to cover. That was not God going to the boot store and grabbing a bolt of leather off the, cow, off the, uh, the, the table. It was some animal had to die in order to give up a covering for their sin. Later on, that keeps going. Now we have Mosaic Covenant. That, that, that animals, innocent animals that didn't deserve to die. Innocent animals had to give their life to atone for the sin of mankind. But we go further. Now we're at the New Covenant. Jesus, the spotless lamb, the lamb for sinners slain, dies once and for all. So that our sin might be atoned. But the good news is he rose again. That you and I might have life and that more abundantly. And so uh, as you read that there's several things I want you to see. First off in, in the first chapter or the first verse of chapter 3 it uses holy brethren. Partakers of this heavenly calling. This is not something that's just out there that you see with just your mind. You can have it. Uh, Brother Steve, you received that. You became a partaker of that holy calling Sunday morning when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you were baptized in Jesus' name, my friend, when you received the Holy Ghost, my friend, you became a partaker, a holy brethren, if you will. It's something you can have. And I like it. Now, watch this. Now, we know, we know, if you read the whole counsel of the Bible, that the, the old law of Deuteronomy was a law that saved them. There, there, when we get to heaven, we're going to find uh, David in heaven, all right? Don't, I don't know. Some people have weird things about that. But, but uh, there was an a, a opportunity, even under the law, for people to have eternal life. 
We're going to get to heaven and we're going to see Rahab there. We're going to see Daniel up there. But if you read the, the, uh, the old law, and you just literally read it word for word in some of the places, that law itself did not promise eternal life. Now, we know that God provided that, but the, the law itself, uh, it said that if you follow my commandments, what does it say? If you honor your, father, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long on this earth, right? And so the law, in its most simplistic form, simply said that if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll do right with God, you can have blessings on this life. Moses, there's that point. I've preached it here. We've, we've alluded to it. There was that place towards the end of the giving of the law, the end of Deuteronomy and, and, and Numbers, but where he takes them and there's a, half of them are on this mountain, half of them are on this mountain, and there's a mountain of blessing and a mountain of cursing. And it said that if you follow God's commandment, these are the blessings that are going to come. Your crops are going to do good. Your families are going to do good. Your, your land is going to do good. But if you don't follow the commandments of God, this is what's going to happen. The locusts are going to eat your, your crops. Your house is going to fall down. Your family is going to fall apart. And so the old covenant in its most simplistic form in and of itself makes no promise of eternal life. But this new covenant, this new covenant that we have. See, that's why it says that we are partakers of a heavenly calling. This new covenant absolutely says that it no longer is this merely an earthly one, but now we're going to take it to another step. This heavenly calling says that one day, and, and, and if you want to know more about it, come to the funeral service, the, the homegoing service on, on Friday, because I'm going to talk about that golden shore and what it means. But, but this covenant that Jesus brings says there is a heavenly calling. The ultimate thing that is going to happen is one day you and I who have been partakers of that heavenly calling are going to get a new body. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be as he is. We're going to see him as he is. And I can't wait for that day. Can't wait. Uh, Moses, he, he, here it comes, and let, let's go verse 2. I'm going to try to move a little faster so we can get through this. But it says, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, even as Moses was faithful to in all of his house. And you can read that verse all the way through, through about verse 7. It talks about Moses. Now, Moses was a man. And when it says house, we don't mean a, a physical structure of a house. We don't even mean the house of God in the sense of the tabernacle. What we mean, if you look in the, 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 the original language, it means uh, the, the people of God. So when it says Moses was faithful to his house, it meant Moses was faithful to those that God gave him. Do you remember that Moses was called out of, uh, you know, he, 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 that burning bush, you know, he goes out into the wilderness. God speaks to him out of the burning bush and says, Moses, I am going to use you to go back to Egypt and, and demand Pharaoh, let my people go. And if Pharaoh doesn't listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, watch this, uh, throw, your, throw your staff down. Moses does, it turns into a snake. Moses, uh, uh, put your hand in your coat. Now take it out, his hands was full of leprosy. Now put your hand back in your coat, Moses. And, and, and he comes out and it's, white, it's clean. He said, I'll be with you. I'll give you power. But, but Moses was a man. When Moses went back there, and we see uh, lots of things about Moses that had some problems, Moses, uh, Moses wasn't always perfect. 
Moses got mad. In fact, one of the, the, the most horrible things about Moses is that, that he said, I can't talk, Lord. Send somebody else. And he kept saying that. God said, no, you can do it. I've chosen you. You're the one here on holy ground. You're the one that can speak. And Moses kept giving excuses. And finally, I believe in exasperation, God threw up his hands, if you will, and said, fine, you can take Aaron, your brother. But I'm going to tell you, that's a bad thing. Because Aaron became the spokesman and he didn't have a personal relationship with God. That's a whole other message that we can preach a long time. And it was Aaron that led them to the golden calf. It was Aaron that had some issues going on in his life because Moses kind of got away from God's plan. Moses was mere humanity, which is why. At the end of Moses' life, I believe it's in, let me see, I believe it's in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses is anticipating his death. Because of striking the rock that, and, and water coming through, God told him to speak to the rock. Moses was mad and he struck the rock. There were some other things in Moses' life that, that God says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go into the promised land. But here's what I'm going to let you do, Moses. We're going to go up to the top of this mountain that overlooks the promise. I'm going to let you see what I promised. And then I'm going to call you home. And, and, and he did. But as Moses anticipated his death, he declares, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, and then also Deuteronomy 18, uh, uh, 18 and 19. He says, I'm declaring that from among my people will come a prophet, and you need to listen to that prophet. Now some would say, well, well yeah, he was talking about Joshua that was going to come, and that's true. But he was looking far beyond what was going to happen as soon as he died. Moses knew there was another covenant coming. And Moses said there's going to be another one that's going to speak. And you need to uh, uh, listen to him. This is why John, the, the writer of the book of John, John, he said in, in John chapter 1 and verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? And so what we're saying right here is, is, is the writer of Hebrews says that, that Moses was faithful. God called Moses and Moses did what God called. It's amazing in, in Hebrews you don't see any of Moses' faults. You don't see any of Moses' problems. That's what grace does. That's what mercy does. Mercy doesn't hang up on the, on the bad things that Moses did. It says let me show you what Moses did. He was faithful. But so was Jesus. But it's a little bit different. Let me tell you why Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was a man just like the people he was leading out of, out of, out of Egypt. Moses was, 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 was there, and that's why it says he, he, uh, uh, this man, Jesus, was counted more worthy of Moses than in so much as he that builded the house has much more honor than the house. All Moses could say was, I'm a part of the ones I'm bringing out. But Jesus could come, and Jesus in his, in his own, uh, he absolutely brought us out. And he was human like you and I, but there was something even greater than that. He was also God divine. And that's why we can say that he is the creator from the beginning of the world, and that by him all things were framed, because, because Jesus is the God that was there in the Old Testament. And, and we're, we're going we're to get to there in, in, in just a moment. Uh, and so, um, we, 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 in verse 3, we want to talk about that, that Jesus is counted more worthy of glory than Moses. Not that Moses didn't do anything good. 
but Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That, that builder, the Bible says that builder and maker is the Lord. You see, let, let, me, let me slow down, and if we don't get any further, I want you to understand this. Uh, the, the writers in the Bible, uh, Malachi chapter 2 verse 10, uses a phrase like this. That, that um, the Father is the creator of all things. And then other places we have uh, where it says the Son. Uh, you know, he, 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 he created, he's from the foundations of the world, he created. We have to kind of get there. How, how can we have Father and Son language in the Bible. Just, just let me walk this a little slowly because I want, you to, I want you to catch this. And then some of this we can go a little bit further. The Bible often speaks of Jesus, especially in the Gospels. It speaks of Jesus and it uses Father. It uses Son. And there would seem to be a, a difference. There would seem to be a, a distinction and maybe a division. But can I just tell you right now that, that the, 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 you cannot change God okay cannot change God the only distinction the only thing is is that there was an incarnation where God added to his unmitigated deity he added humanity now you have to be very careful this is why I I like to know the truth you know the Bible says if you know the truth the truth will set you free if you speak the truth you'll never get tongue-tied you know that if you speak the truth all the time, you'll never get caught in a lie. And if you preach the truth, you never have to worry about what you're saying. Because we cannot say that, that, that there is a Godhead with two distinct peoples, two distinct persons. You cannot take an identity of God the Father and of God the Son, and, and some would even go so far to say there's another of God the Spirit. It, it, it just doesn't work because if you do that, one of them invariably has to be inferior to the other. Does that make sense? It's kind of hard for their three to all be the same. It just, it just doesn't work that way. And, and so uh, you would have to say that one of them has to be in subordination to the other. But you can say, it is absolutely all right to say that you can have a genuine deity of God and a genuine humanity that comes together. It makes no pretense. In fact, when, when, when God says, I'm going to add to my deity, I'm going to add to my eternal greatness, I'm going to add to my all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere being, I'm the existence of of humanity. And so God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And see, watch this. If if you think and and this is why you have to be very careful. God exists from the from before time. But the humanity of Jesus did not exist before time. There was a moment in in a little stable in Bethlehem that 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 you could go to the exact time, date, hour, second that Jesus, the humanity, was born. Everybody with me? I know it's deep, but it's all right. You can handle it. You're full of His Spirit, and that's what the Bible says. The Spirit is what allows us to understand this. With Because of that, because we know the humanity has a beginning. God does not. The divinity does not. But humanity has a beginning. Because of that, that's why in the Bible it says things like this. Uh, Luke, 
uh, said, I think chapter 2, said that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Are you going to tell me that God got smarter? No. But the humanity did. The humanity had to learn to walk. The humanity had to learn to talk. The humanity of Jesus had to learn to feed himself and, and, and do multiplication. It's, it's why the humanity could pray, Father, if it's possible, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. This was not two gods talking. This was not two divinities talking. But it was an a understanding that the humanity depended on the deity. The deity. And so I, I just want to make sure that you understand that because he was all God, he can have the power that we talk about in Hebrews and the glory and the honor. But as man, he walked like you and I walked. And he was with you and I in our weakness. And he was with you and I in our temptations. And he exercised his human will just as you and I have exercised it. And in no way does saying that Jesus is all God and all man, not one time does that ever get in the way of Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Not one time does it get in the way of one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's simple as that. And I know I've taken a little bit of time, but I, 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 what I want more than anything is I want you to be able to leave this building and know firmly what the Word of God says. Let's, let's uh, uh, go a little bit further to, to, to chapter, I mean to verse 5 rather. But Moses was faithful. Moses did what the Lord commanded him to do in getting uh, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt and in that exodus. And at the same time, so did Jesus. That's why he prayed and he said, Father, God, I, I, I've done, I've, I've, I've done those. Here are the ones you've given me. That's what Jesus prayed. He was looking at all of humanity and he was knowing what he was going to have to do that he was leading you and I out of a life of sin. There's another exodus that is coming and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and at the end of that, let me, let me just show you. It says, uh, as Christ is the son over his own house, whose house you and I are, meaning you and I, if you want, that's the key, if you want, you can be his. Watch this. It says in the last part of verse 6, If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This is a... Uh, now, I, I've, I've read it, and, and I'm not about to say I'm a Greek scholar. My goodness, I'm... I, 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 I'm trying to take a class just to further my own understanding and, and I, I call my dad and tell him half the time I don't even know what they're talking about. I haven't got there yet. But uh, I can read a little bit. But did you know, you know, with everything there's a cause and effect, right? If I said, Brandon, if I said today, uh, um, if you'll come to church next Sunday, I'll take you out to eat. All right? That's a statement. But implied is if you're not here Sunday, I won't take you out to eat. Does that make sense? Here's what's implied. The Bible says, if, uh, uh, if you hold firm and fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of her, f hope firm unto the end, then you will be 
in his house. It's very simple. it's, It's that there's a condition. If you want to be his, hold fast to the confidence and the faith. You can't abandon the rejoicing of the hope, and it has to be to the end. You're you're not going to get any credit when, when, when the trumpet sounds. Listen carefully. You will not get credit at the trumpet sounding if you lived 70 years, and 60 of those years you lived for God, but the last 10 you didn't. There's no sliding scale with God. There's no curve, grading on the curve with God. The Bible says, he that endureth to the end. Which means, at the end of day, Brother Keith, there'll be a person that stands in heaven, having lived for 70 years, but he lived for God one day, the day he died. And he'll have the same reward that sister sponsor will have having lived the majority of her 87 years uh, with the Holy Ghost because it says he that endureth to the end. If you'll give me the privilege, and, and I don't think, I think we can go through it very quickly, but let me tell you uh, uh, what, what the, the, um, the Bible says. I'm not going to go word for word because it, it repeats itself several times. And I I just want to give you the overview. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 7 through 19. The writer of Hebrews pulls from a psalm in the Bible. He pulls from Psalm chapter 95 in which it was reminding the Jewish people. This is all the way back in King David's time. But he was reminding the Jewish people that there were those after the Exodus. Remember some, and and we throw this number out. I don't know if it's true. Three Three million people came out of Egypt. Everybody with me on the same page? Give me just a little bit more time. I won't hold you too long. Three million people came out of Egypt. Moses is leading them out. They have just seen ten plagues that kept getting worse and worse, showing the power and the presence of God, right? When they left Egypt, people were were opening their doors, the Egyptians, and they were throwing money to them. They were throwing jewels. Read it. It it says that they spoiled the Egyptians. They, I'm going to use the word stole, but it's kind of hard to steal when you're giving it to it. But when they left, Egypt had hardly anything. That's how they could build the tabernacle and all of that. And unfortunately, that's where they got the gold to build the golden calf. But uh, they left. And then they get out to, to, the, to the Red Sea. And here they are. And all of a sudden, some of them start worrying. Huh, uh, Pharaoh's coming. Pharaoh's coming. And Moses stretches out his hand. And the Red Sea parts. My goodness, what a time that would have been. Then they go across and they get across and the the Red Sea swallows up the Egyptian army and they all die. and It's amazing. They get across and what do they start doing? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I wish I had some food. God says, all right, I'm going to bring manna from heaven. It's going to taste like like biscuits and honey. That's about the closest I can understand it. It's going to taste like biscuits and honey. It's going to look kind of like snow on the ground. Go every day. Pick up just enough for what you need. And then on the seventh day, I want you to get double. Or on the sixth day, get double so you don't even have to work on the seventh day. And, and they get that. And now they have food to eat. It never runs out. And then they, that's not enough. Oh, I want some meat. I want some meat. God says, all right. And he brings quail. Now remember, there could be somewhere of three million people. A quail is not a big bird. Any of you ever been to Dixie Stampede? 
know that little bird they put in front of you? It's a little Cornish hen. Quail or littler than that. Some of you, that would be enough for you. For some of you, you need to eat four or five quail to satisfy you. There was enough quail. There was over three million quail. I'm quite confident, at least one for every person. But they had enough to make quail jerky and to dry it out. Quail descended from heaven. They didn't have to shoot them. They just kind of picked them up and bonked them on the head. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Moses speaks to the rock the first time. Water flows. These are the same people that saw God move. I mean, could you, if, if you ever got to the place where you had seen all the water turn to blood and flies and locusts and, and all of those, you had even put the blood on your doorpost and you saw the death angel pass you by, surely of all of the people in the world that had walked through on dry land and not, uh, you know, and why in the world would you ever have any unbelief? That's what Psalms chapter 95 talks about. But the writer of Hebrews picks up on that. And the writer of Hebrews, in, and, and you can see that that's why it says uh, in verse 7, and I'm not going to read all of this, but it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, to the day if you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation. He's simply saying this. Those of you who have tasted of the goodness of God, He was talking to saved people. He was talking to people that may have come out of the upper room where the Holy Ghost fell. Maybe he was talking to some more that later on on the day of Pentecost, they were part of the 3,000 there that got the Holy Ghost. I mean, my goodness, they had seen the glory of God, the signs and wonders that followed. They were even some of the same ones that had seen Jesus walk on water and seen Jesus heal the blinded eyes and seen Jesus feed the thousands with just a few loaves of bread and fish. But there were some that were saying, oh, I know he can. But life was starting to get tough. And their hearts were beginning to be hardened. And they were starting to fall away and complain. And he was saying this. He was saying, please, those of you that have tasted of his goodness, don't go back. Can you imagine the absolute insanity of one of those uh, uh, Israelites that had been on the exodus from Egypt saying, Moses, I want to go back. I want to go back where the garlics and the onions were. I don't want to be in the promised land. Take me back. As asinine as that is, how much more can you imagine Someone that has tasted of the ultimate glory of God. He's filled you with his spirit. He's saved you out of sin. He's put his spirit inside of you. You carry his name. He's saying don't go back. Because if you go back, there's nothing there. Those that wanted to go back to the old covenant, which is what this is alluding to. Those that wanted to go back to Judaism, go back to sacrificing in the temple, go back to doing all of those feasts, they would have been empty words because there's no power in them anymore. I'm going to tell you right now, if they found the Ark of the Covenant, I know a lot of you, you've seen uh, 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 Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
And you know they open up the ark and, and all of a sudden something happens and all of a sudden all the Nazi soldiers get their flesh ripped off. And I know you've seen that and you're thinking, man, I could put the ark of the covenant right here and it'd be no more than just a golden, not statue, but you know, just an icon. There's no power in the ark anymore. You can go back all you want, but you're not going to find what God has for you right now. There's nothing. That's why he keeps saying this covenant supersedes the old. It supersedes the old. And so in, in verse 12, this is a key. It says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of belief in departing from the living God. It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called. Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And while it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. For some when they heard did provoke, howbeit not all of they that came out of Egypt by Moses and then it talks about those that, uh, that grieved God for 40 years. They fell in the wilderness. God got mad at those that went back or wanted to go back. He said, fine, I won't let you get into the promise. And there were those that died in the wilderness. They didn't enter their rest. They didn't enter into the rest. I'm going to stop right there. I, I wanted to get into chapter 4. But chapter 4 is going to lead very quickly to Jesus is the greatest high priest. In fact, it uses that word at the end of chapter 4, the great high priest. No other high priest is told that. But, but in chapter 4, we'll, we'll get to it. I want to talk about the rest. Because here's the key, and I want us to stand. I'll, Sister Cindy, you can come and just play that way. People know I'm almost done, and it gives them hope. <laughs> but uh, think of this. Are you ready? All the way back in Abraham, in the promise God gave to Abraham. God called Abraham out of the land of Ur. And he said, I'm, I'm bringing you, I'm going to bring you to the promised land. That was the same land that the children of Israel were going to go to after the Exodus. And it was, that was their rest, that was their reward. The land that flows with milk and honey. If they would have done right, farming would have been perfect. It would have been easy. I mean, you didn't even have to hardly try to grow crops. Said the land was so fertile, a cluster of grapes, it took two men to carry it on a pole. It was perfect. It was everything you could possibly want. And, and here, was, here was this exodus that was coming out. God brought them out of a land of captivity and is leading them through the wilderness. I've told you before, they weren't supposed to be in the wilderness 40 days. I mean 40 years rather. Maybe 40 days would have been okay, but they weren't going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. That was their stupid fault. And so here they are. They were supposed to leave captivity and go into the promise. But because they hardened their hearts, remember, there was that moment right I mean, very quickly after they left, after God give them, gave them the law on Mount Sinai, they left that place of consecration and they went straight to the edge of the Jordan River and they were going to walk over into the promised land and God called one spy out of each of the 12 tribes. We know the names of them all, but we're most familiar with Joshua and Caleb. They go over there. Two of them come back and they say, 
Well, everything that God promised is there. Two of them said, let's go get the promise. But ten of those spies said, we can't do it. And because of that, there was an entire generation that never got to their rest. Joshua said it this way. In fact, I think I am going to finish up chapter 4. Listen carefully. The Bible says in in chapter 4, verse 8, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Now we see the word Jesus there, but be careful, because this is the Greek form of Joshua. Okay? Joshua and, and, and Jesus, they're the same word. It's a common name. Jesus is not some, I mean, it is a special name, understand, but there were other people named Jesus, just as there are today. And so in this particular place, Joshua himself said, we're going to a land of rest. We're going to a promised land. But Joshua himself even said, but there's something better coming even after the promised land. God, that the, the, what Jesus did on the cross is mirrored. And I don't have time. I'm running out of time. But I, I could tell you all the, the things that Jesus and Moses have in common. They both went down to Egypt. They both uh, uh, had to go into the wilderness. Moses had his burning bush. Jesus had the, that, the, the devil coming and tempting them. You, you, you have the, the water. Moses went through the Red Sea. Jesus went through the Jordan and was baptized. You, there's many, many similarities, and it's on purpose. Because what Jesus did on the cross was he got a generation, a, a, a more than a generation, he got a humanity enslaved by sin. And there was a mighty exodus. What is Acts 2.38? It's the exodus. Those that had lived under the bondage of sin now receive the Holy Ghost and are free. And he's leading them out of bondage. But there's some that won't ever make it to the promise. Because along the journey of that exodus, they're going to slow down. Some of them are going to fall by the way. Some of them are going to walk away. But he says this. There remaineth, verse uh, 9 of chapter 4, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And for he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his works as God did his. There is coming a day when you and I are no longer have to going to toil. You're going to have to take any more medicine anymore. You're not going to have to go to work anymore. You're going to step foot. There will be a moment when you take your last breath on earth and your next breath, so however it is, is going to be on a golden shore and you're going to enter into a land of rest. And he keeps saying over and over, endure to the end. And this is what it says. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any should should uh, lest any man should fall after that example of the unbelievers in Egypt or, or in that came out of Egypt now watch verse 12 we hear this all the time i'm almost done for the word of god is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword 
dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him in whom we have to do. Seeing then we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. I don't care how you want to exegete joints and marrow and soul and spirit. I don't really care. The point is this. The Word of God sees into the deepest, darkest parts of our heart. And He knows. And He's going to lay our entire life bare. So he said, So the, the writer of Hebrews says, labor, work, grab that hold of that faith and let that faith have some legs to it. If you believe he's your savior, then act like he's your savior. If, he believed he, if you believe he delivered you from sin, then live free from sin. Let your faith lead you on because we have a great high priest. And because of that, I can make it. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift your hands for a moment? I, I know we, we, we ran through chapter 4, but it's real simple. Hold fast. Hold fast. There is a day coming. And I know it seems like an eternity away, but I promise you, whether he comes tomorrow or next year or 10 years or 30 years or 50 years or even longer, it's worth holding on because that rest that's coming is greater than anything in the world. Oh, I wish I could have talked to those children of Israel. I know it, some days are tough and you wish you had a little bit more water and I know you get sick of man and quail, but just hang on because if you could only see what's over in the promised land, that land that floweth with milk and honey, these little journey through the wilderness ain't going to matter at all. And I'd like to tell you today, I know life sometimes is tough and you're weary. But if you could just see what's on the other side, if you could just see what's on the golden shore, it'll be worth it all. What glorious day. Hold fast to the profession. Hold tight to the faith. There is a rest coming because Jesus is even greater than Moses and the angels. Would you lift your hands and lift your voice one more time? Father, I thank you. For your mercies and your goodness. Oh, Lord, I, I, I wish I could keep going. I love your word. But, God, I want this word to percolate inside our hearts. Let us grab our Bible over the next few days. Let us read what we just...